0: We are still in our series on on John's Gospel, on signs of life. Um, It's the last one. Um, Today, we're going to take a break for a while, and sometime in the new year, we'll jump back into the rest of John's Gospel. But we're looking at John chapter 11 today. Um, If you're following in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1077, 1077. It is a familiar story, Um, the death of Lazarus is what it's called here, but maybe more accurate the raising from the death of Lazarus. Um, we're going to read 45 verses, so get yourselves comfortable. Um, but, but they're all important. Uh, so page 1077 in the Pew Bibles, John chapter 11, verses 1 to 45. And this is what John writes. He says, Now a man, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Mm. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by the day will, will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who who was to come into the world. But some of them said, Could he not have opened could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, but this time there is a bad odour, for he's been there four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. We end our reading there. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your word and we pray your blessing upon it. as we think about what is written there, as we think about the words of Jesus, may it speak into our hearts today and may we respond in the right way. I pray that your spirit will find freedom this morning to move and minister as he will amongst us. And may my words be spoken in the power of your spirit, I ask us in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is a story that most of us here are probably very familiar with, maybe too familiar with. You know, one of those stories that that we we know and we read so often or we're so familiar with it that, that we're almost desensitized to some of the things that John is telling us in this story. When I read it and I, and I reread it in, in preparation for today, what struck me that maybe hadn't really struck me before was, was how much of a human story this is. When we look at the responses and the words of, of the disciples and, and of Mary and of Martha and, and the other people standing around there, it's a, it's a really human story. And sitting in the midst of it uh, is the Messiah, is, is the Son of God. When we read passages of Scripture, sometimes we, can, we read something that makes us stumble a bit. We read a verse or we read a, a couple of words and we think, what's going on there? You know, we, we need to go back and, and, and see what's going on. It might be because we think it contradicts something that was said somewhere else, or maybe we just can't believe that somebody would actually say that and they'd put that in the Bible. And I believe that those things are, are put there deliberately for that reason, You know, when you're walking along and and, and you trip over something, the first thing you do is is stop and look back and see what it is you tripped over. And then maybe you you look around and hope that nobody saw you um, trip over whatever it was that you tripped over. Sometimes nothing. Um, And that's why I believe that these things are in our Bibles, because they make us stop and look back. And and just check again, did I really read um, what what I read there? And there's quite a few in this passage. There's quite a few, like, like when Jesus decides not to go to his sick friend. Um, and instead he says that the sickness is is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And then we have that bit in verses 9 and 10 when Jesus is suddenly talking about 12 hours of daylight and and how we walk. If we walk by night, we'll stumble because we have no light. Um, It seems to have no relation to anything else that's going on. And we can't overlook the response of Jesus' followers. They're probably the best bits. Um, Like when Jesus tells them that Lazarus has fallen asleep, and we know we know what he's talking about. We know that he's saying that he died. But, but the disciples are cheered up by this news. They're like, "Oh, that's brilliant. You know, if he's sleeping, he's going to get better. Or Thomas, so enthusiastic about going with Jesus to a place where their lives may be in danger. Let's go with him. We can die with him. The same Thomas who, who later doubts the resurrection story. Much like Peter on the night of Jesus' arrest. You know, when Jesus says what's going to happen. And, and Peter is like, yeah, we'll go with you, even if it means dying with you but then denies Jesus at the first sign of of, of any threat. And I do wonder, would I have acted any differently if suddenly I felt that my life was threatened? And then let's not forget Mary and Martha in the story as well. Quite passive-aggressive in in the way they they respond to Jesus or they greet Jesus. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Martha adding that other little bit. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Yeah, nudge, nudge, wink, wink do something about this and maybe my favorite one the most human of them all when Jesus tells him in verse 39 to open the tomb and Martha says Jesus you're going to stink up the place or, or something along those lines the only reason she could think that Jesus would want to open the tomb would be to see his friend one last time and so she's stressing the point that not only is Lazarus dead he's very dead this was now four days into him being dead, and the body would have started decomposing. But those four days is a significant number in the Jewish tradition. The belief was that when, when someone was buried, that their spirit hovered, hovered around the body, trying to find a way to re-enter the body. But after four days, the spirit departed, because the body had now begun to decay. And so that bit is there for, for the original readers and, and, and if we have that knowledge to understand that, that Lazarus is, is dead. There, there is no um, mistake going on here. When Lazarus comes out of that tomb alive, it wasn't because somebody had thought he was dead, but he wasn't. It wasn't because of some Jewish myth of the spirit still hovering around and now it's re-entered the body. No, Jesus, uh, Lazarus came out of that um, that tomb alive because of Jesus. It was Jesus who had given him new life. That is the miracle. That is the sign that John is showing us here that points to Jesus being the Son of God, the one who gives life to all who respond to his call. He is the life giver. He is the one who gave life in the beginning. He was the one who was with God, the one who is God. And as we we read through this story Amongst all these odd things that, that Jesus' followers say, there are some important things that Jesus says, important for us to hear. The first thing that Jesus says is that this illness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. What Jesus is not saying here, he's not saying that God caused the sickness just so that God could look good by healing him. What he's saying is that whatever happens to Lazarus, Jesus has the power to deal with it. And the way that he is going to deal with it will bring glory to God and glorify Jesus. And there are two meanings to what Jesus is saying here. The first is the most obvious. People will be completely amazed by what they see. They'll be completely amazed uh, about what they're going to witness, about the power of God displayed through Jesus. By raising Lazarus from the dead, God is going to be glorified. But there is another meaning here too. In John's gospel, when Jesus talks about him being glorified, he is talking about the cross. In John 7 verse 39, when Jesus is talking about believers receiving the Holy Spirit, John writes that up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. In John 12 verse 23, predicting his death, Jesus says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And earlier in that chapter, after Jesus fulfills the prophecy by entering Jerusalem riding on the, on the back of a donkey, John writes about the disciples that only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. So when Jesus says here that what's going to happen with Lazarus will glorify God's son, he knows that raising Lazarus from the dead will start the ball rolling towards the cross. And while the other three Gospels might place the motivation for for the plot to kill Jesus on the cleansing of the temple, something that, that, that John records near the start of his Gospel, John is clear that the raising of Lazarus from the dead is the motivation for the Pharisees to plot killing Jesus. This is important for us to understand because when we see that, when we realize that Jesus knew that resurrecting Lazarus was going to, to, to carry a personal cost and that personal cost would be the cross. And and, and while John refers to Lazarus in verse 3 as, as the one you love, what John also tells us in his gospel is that the one that God Loves is actually the whole world remember John 3.16 for God so loved the world Jesus knows that the resurrection that he's going to give to Lazarus will cost him his life and Jesus knows that the resurrection life that he is going to offer all of us will come at a cost to himself but he willingly offers it anyway he willingly does it anyway that's how much he loves you and me For there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. And if you're wondering today, could God love you that much? Could God love me that much? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes, God does love you that much. Not yes, but. Not yes, if. Not yes, when. But yes, full stop. God loves you that much. And then Jesus goes on to talk about 12 hours in a day. That little bit there that we find in the middle there. Are, you, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. Now when Jesus is talking about 12 hours of daylight he's not, he's not been wrong. You know, we, we look at him and we go well there's definitely not 12 hours of daylight at the moment. Uh, but But we need to put it back in its context, back in its culture, and he's referring to the ancient Jewish timekeeping system, where every day was divided into two periods, every 24-hour day, a period of day and a period of night. And each of those two periods were divided into 12 one-hour periods that would vary in length according to the seasons. And so he's speaking truth there. He's speaking truth when he says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? But he's speaking truth on a whole lot of different levels in that place. Practically, it's certainly easier and far less dangerous to walk on a path during the day, particularly these paths that weren't paved as we know them today. Far safer, far easier to walk on them during the day than during the night when it's dark. But on another level, Jesus is saying that there are 12 hours of daylight, so do what you need to do in these 12 hours. Do what needs to be done because those 12 hours will come to an end. It's like the old proverb, make hay while the sun shines. But when John brings in words like light and darkness, day and night, then he is taking this to an even deeper level. Light and dark are a recurring theme theme through John's gospel. Jesus is portrayed as light. He is the light of the world. He is the light that shines in the darkness that the darkness cannot overcome. And night and dark are used to talk about life without Jesus, life that has been overcome by evil. When Judas leaves the meal to go and betray Jesus, John tells us that as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. Jesus is saying that we need to be aware that our time is limited on making a choice about whether we want to have light in our life or remain in darkness. And those who choose to live in the light will have a clear vision of where they're going because the light that shines in their life cannot be overcome by darkness. But those who choose to remain in darkness will stumble and fall because they have no light. And let's not forget the significance of light. Remember how John starts his gospel and how it takes us back to the beginning of Genesis and how the first thing God brings into being in order to create life is light. Before there was light, there was darkness and there was nothingness. Just chaos. Just conditions that couldn't support life. Light means life. And Jesus is offering life. He is offering you life, found in Him and through Him, because of His willingness to pay the cost that was necessary. He was willing to raise Lazarus from the dead, even though He knew that it would cost Him His life. And he is willing to offer you light and life, even though it has cost him his life. But there are 12 hours of daylight, no more. You cannot keep putting off that decision, because the night will come. Which brings us to the third thing that I want to highlight, which is when he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He is responding to Martha's comment about Lazarus rising again at this general resurrection that is to come. It's quite a bold statement of faith that Martha makes because for much of the Old Testament, there was no belief in a general resurrection. Early Hebrews believed that when when you died, you went to a place called Sheol. It isn't hell, but rather this kind of vague, shadowy, ghostly existence apart from God where every person, good or bad, When when they died. But over time they came to understand that if God's plan was going to unfold, it couldn't happen here on earth as we know it. William Barclay writes, They came to see that if God's design was ever fully to be worked out, if his justice was ever completely to be fulfilled, if his love was ever finally to be satisfied, another world, another life was necessary. Martha is right when she says to Jesus um, about her her brother rising again at the last day. But Jesus' response tells us that there is more than just this general resurrection at the last day. Jesus is talking beyond just the physical body. He is recognizing that when God created humankind and he breathed his spirit into us, we became living souls, body, mind, and spirit. And that while this mortal temporal body that we have might die, will die, and there is a promise of an eternal body at the final resurrection, the spirit doesn't need to taste death or separation from God. That's what's going on here when Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. When humankind sinned, when we became sinful beings, we were set on this trajectory that took us away from God. It took us away from eternal life. And in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus that we must be born again, that we must go back to a place of starting over, like it was in the beginning, before sin entered into the world. And when we do that, when the direction of eternity changes for us, It moves us back towards God, back towards the eternal life that we had been created for. And we do that, John tells us, by believing in Jesus. And here Jesus is saying it again. We are on a journey that leads only to death, but Jesus has come to resurrect us. That even though these bodies might die, we don't need to be separated from God in some vague, shadowy place. Jesus says to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Paul tells the Corinthians that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. The life that we so desperately long for and the spiritual resurrection that we need to receive it is found in Jesus. That is what he is saying here. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who brings life where there is no life, where there is only death. And that might have been in the beginning when all things were made, were made through me. It might be at the final resurrection when those who died in me will rise again to eternal life. It might be in the moment you put your faith in me, that you change your eternal destiny from death to life. And you know what Martha, Jesus is saying, it might even be right now. When I tell you to open the tomb and I call your brother out. And it doesn't matter how long he's been dead and it doesn't matter what the tomb smells like because your brother's illness and your brother's death will bring glory to God when you see the power of his son raise him back to life. And it will also glorify the son because it will lead to Jesus fulfilling his purpose to die on the cross so that he might rise again. So Martha Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? This is the seventh sign, the final sign that John offers us to show us who Jesus is. The final sign that now sets Jesus on the road towards the cross. And who benefits from the cross? Well, not the ones who put him there in the hope of getting rid of him. Not the ones who who nailed him to the cross. Not the crowds who got caught up in a frenzy. Not the one who washed his hands of it all. Or the ones who laughed and mocked and gambled for his purple robe. John wants you to see who Jesus is in order that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. That's who benefits from Jesus going to the cross. The ones who believe. So, do you believe? Do you believe that the only thing this world can promise you, guarantee you, is a tomb that is sealed from the outside? That the only destiny for these fallen bodies is death and decay? Do you believe that there is nothing that you can do to change that? Except to believe in the one who can. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And anyone who believes in him will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in him and believes in him will never die. So do you believe? Will you choose to believe today? Let us pray. Loving Jesus, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. And we see that in your own resurrection. In the life that you rose to. And we see that in an invitation that you offer us. That all who believe in you will not die. But will have eternal life. God, I pray today for, for anyone here that is with us today who has yet not chosen to believe, who has not chosen Jesus and I pray that, that, that in the words that we have read, in the words that we have spoken in the songs that we have sung they will hear of the one who loves them who gave up his throne who came to a dusty dirty earth who laid down his life Because there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. But who rose again and invites us to share in that resurrection. That share in that victory over death. So that we no longer need to follow this path that we're on. But that we might come back to you. And be present with you. Today and for every day. For all eternity. Lord, draw them to you today and draw us closer to you today that we might be more appreciative, more thankful of who you are and all that you've done for us. And that that we recognize that the struggles of this life are just the struggles of this life. But there is something greater that you promise us. We find it in Jesus. Bless us, God. Draw close to us that we might draw close to you. I ask us in the name of Jesus. Amen.